Uh, this is the second week of our series uh, that we might call the series of, of one anothering. That's a, a phrase that it's not really a real verb, um, but it's one that uh, we you've maybe heard over the years to describe the different passages in Scripture that talk about how to treat one another. And we, we need this maybe more than ever uh, as we think about the uh, divisions and divisiveness that's occurring in our culture and uh, in every area that we can imagine. And so we're taking uh, a few months to look at this question of what does it look like for us uh, to, to interact with and care for one another? How do we treat one another? As the Bible discusses it, it, it's almost always primarily about the way that uh, followers of Jesus treat other followers of Jesus. But it also, as we noted last week, has uh, profound implications about the way that we treat others as well. And so we're asking this question, what does it look like uh, for us to love one another well? And that's what we looked at last week was love one another. And that's this overarching theme that encompasses the other one another passages that we'll look at. And we're actually going to break those into three categories. We're going to do a few weeks on humbly serving. Uh, so that's where we are starting today. And then we'll have a few weeks on uh, encouraging, edifying, exhorting one another. And then we'll have a few weeks of uh, sharing with one another, sharing burdens, sharing beliefs, sharing purpose. Uh, and and uh, hopefully we'll find encouragement uh, in this time of the way that we, we treat one another and, and challenge uh, to some degree. We find ourselves here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, um, and uh, we'll talk about this in a moment. We, we were here a month ago, uh, at least in verses 1 through 5, but we're going to take a little bit of a different uh, focus um, and, uh, and look at particularly clothe yourselves with humility. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. This idea of humility is uh, not one that we necessarily hear a lot uh, hear a lot about around us but at times we do i i this this week took the opportunity to watch uh, a tedx video uh, a speaker speaking about humility and he was lamenting the fact that what is just common understanding now uh, a, a phrase that we've all heard whether it's in uh, movies or on social media or from our teachers is this idea of be yourself and there's this assumption that be yourself is absolutely fundamentally true to everything uh, that we are and do in this world. Uh, that, that that is an, like, you, you will find very few people who would say, uh, you know what, I have a, have a problem with that statement, be, be yourself. Now, it's helpful to note, as this speaker did, that there, is, there are some really valuable things uh, about uh, the idea of being yourself. We don't want to put on masks and face and act like we're somebody that we're not. That's not uh, what uh, he's pushing back against. That's not what I or scripture is pushing back against. But there is the danger in this idea of being yourself that, uh, that if that is the most fundamental thing, that we become very self-focused uh, and being yourself is often being yourself completely uncritically. Meaning, if this is the way I feel, if this is what I want to do, then for me to be myself is just to do whatever I want and feel at any given time, right? And it becomes very self-focused. And it's a particular problem, maybe even more so in a, a social media-fueled world. And this speaker was a millennial and talking about millennials and saying that, that on average, uh, a, a millennial will end up taking 25,000 pictures of their own face. By the time they uh, are done. 
Uh, so in their lifetime, 25, that's a lot of pictures of their own face, right? Now, I, I, I'm not, please do not hear, oh, you millennials. Uh, I, I'm, I'm wrapped up in the social media uh, temptations myself, and there are other ways, like part of the way that I become prideful and not humble is to, to think, well, I'm not engaged in the way they are, whatever that they are might be, millennials or otherwise, right? So uh, th- that's not the takeaway, but there is this recognition that, uh, that we become very self-focused when uh, the most fundamental thing is to, to be yourself, that there's a danger in that. And the speaker pushes back and says that we should be humble uh, before one another. One of the fascinating things about this TED Talk, though, was that, that that was basically it. Like, there's a danger of being self-focused, and so we should be humble and serve one another. But it, it didn't seem, there's no reason to be so. He was uh, essentially taking uh, the position of, uh, of Aristotle. And, and Aristotle uh, did not ever argue uh, for humility beyond we should serve other people in order to be great. Uh, he talked about uh, Aristotle, uh, 4th century B.C., uh, that we should all seek to be great-souled people. And part of being great is to serve those, essentially, who are less than us. So service happens, but it happens because we're great and we're caring for those uh, in need. The biblical picture of humility is, is very different. And, uh, and one theologian, philosopher, describes uh, humility as the habit of living in the truth. What is the truth? And how does that fuel humility? And not, you know, we, we think, okay, humility in, in opposition to arrogance and pride, yes. But also humility in opposition to self-pity and despair. So the three points that we have this morning are we're unworthy, we're loved, and then we're humble. And, and, it, and it flows in that order, and understanding flows in that order. And I, and I hope that we find that this biblical kind of humility pushes against pride and arrogance, as well as self-pity and despair. Let, let me pray, and we'll, we'll look at these three points. Lord, we do pray that you would remind us and fill us with your truth in order that we might live in light of it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point is that we're unworthy. We're unworthy. That, that's a, a phrase that we like to hear. Josh alluded to the fact that the confession of sin, this time in the worship service, is uh, not often the favorite time, right? We're admitting that we're not worthy. This is not a theme that catches on in broader culture, right? Be yourself, and you're great just the way you are, uh, and you have value and worth. And, and there's some of that we should absolutely affirm, that every human being created in the image of God has value, but the reality is that we're not worthy before the Lord because for a few different reasons. One is that we're finite individuals, that God is infinite and we're not. This passage, the context, if you were here a month ago when Dan preached, is about elders and leaders in the church. And, uh, and that's something that pushes against, if we're not an elder or an officer in the church, then sometimes our pride pushes against that because we too often attach value or worth to position. And that's a problem in itself. But um, this call then comes after speaking to th- this idea of leadership and saying that the, the, 
the, the younger folks should submit themselves to that leadership. That's what we heard read, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then we find ourselves, clothe yourselves, all of you. So this is, this is the leaders, the elders, and the, the, the younger folks. This is, it doesn't matter who you are. Every single one of you is finite. None of you are, are God. This is uh, the issue for all of us. It's a reminder of what is true, that every one of us is finite. There's a story told of King Canute, who was uh, the king in the 11th century of England, Denmark, and Norway. <coughs> and uh, he had lots of power, and so he had lots of flatterers gather around him regularly. And he became uh, bothered by all these flatterers. And he wanted to remind them of what was true. And so uh, at, at one point he gathers uh, many of the flatterers many of his followers around and he had his throne taken down to the beach and sat on the beach as the tide was out and he sat in there and he gathered people around and he commanded the tide not to come in and as the tide came in surprisingly not so much the tide comes in it's lapping at his feet it's getting higher and higher around him and he says let all men know how empty and worthless is the power of kings for there is none worthy of the name but he whom heaven earth and sea obey by eternal laws what's he saying he's saying i'm finite let's let's remember what is true even as a king even as a person with position that that i don't have all the power, that there's something much greater at work in the world. And at that point, he was confessing it as the God and creator of all things. And so he's remembering what is true about who he is. Not only are we finite, but it, the, the Bible reminds us that it's, that it's even worse than that, that, that we're fallen. That there's this problem of, of sin. And it goes back to the fall in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve do the opposite thing from humbling themselves before God. They want to be God. They want to have his power. They want the knowledge uh, that he has. And so uh, they turn from his commandments and they turn to the temptation to be in control. And, and the biblical story is that that affects all of us. That we all fall into that category. Fallenness. That we're not worthy of the Lord because we've turned from him in our pride. And this, this passage recognizes this reality when it, when it gives this very challenge. God opposes the proud. He knows that our temptation is to be prideful, is to seek to be in control, is to not humble ourselves. And this applies to every one of us. Now, we, we have to recognize as we sit in our unworthiness, as we sit in the fact that we've messed up, that sometimes what that means is if, we, if we've embraced that reality in the church and then we've turned to a savior, we'll get to that point in point two. You, you've already seen a little bit of the spoiler to come. But as we sit in that, then we judge those outside. We find ourselves judging those who haven't embraced their unworthiness and, and, and the love of God. That we, we turn this issue of unworthiness into others' issue. So that we stand, you're unworthy and you're unworthy. And we begin to give the different reasons why that might be the case. But, but the truth is, this habit of living in the truth is to recognize that every single one of us, that the issue is my own unworthiness. As we sing about amazing grace that recognizes, that saved a wretch like me. 
Not language that we like to use, not language that we readily hear around us that we would describe ourselves as a wretch, but that the language is a wretch like me, not a wretch like you, or you, right? It's, it's recognizing and sitting in our own worthiness, unworthiness. Now, that is this recognition that we're tempted to pride and arrogance. We're tempted to think that we have uh, our, our stuff together. But maybe we're sitting in the uh, unworthiness and then we're tempted to self-pity and despair because maybe we see the way that plays out in our own lives. And so we're feeling uh, unworthy in that sense. And so we we fall into self-pity and despair and we'll get to the hope that comes. That's not true humility. That's not what humility is about. We'll get to that in point two. But we we also recognize that as we're finite and fallen, we, we, we also, all that we do have, and we have a lot, gifting and otherwise is, is from the Lord. It's not something that we've accomplished. Here's our tendency in our economy that is so often a meritocracy. That is those who earn and do the best, they get the most, right? It's all about what you do and you accomplish. But Paul reminds us in first Corinthians chapter four, verse seven, he's having this conversation with the Corinthians who are comparing who's better. Those who follow Apollos one of the other apostles or those who follow Paul. And Paul says, he's, he's made it really clear. No, no, it's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. We've, we've proclaimed the same truth of the gospel. Don't, don't add to it and then begin to compare yourselves. He says, I've applied all these things, that is the truth of the gospel, to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That is not to add to, oh, here are the reasons I'm better than other people, so that you won't be puffed up. And then he goes on, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? What's Paul saying there? He's saying that the things you have, your gifts, your gifting, your own abilities even, there's something given to you from the Lord. And that's hard for us. Like, again, our culture is so focused on what we do and accomplish that we take the word gift and we become prideful about it. If, if you, in school, either your kids or you made it into the gifted and talented program, right? Man, you're smart. You're the best. It's a reason to be prideful. But we have to be reminded that that very word gift is a biblical word. That's where it comes from. That's why we use it. And it's a recognition that it's not anything that we deserved or earned. It's something that was given to us from our creator. That's the nature of gifting. That's the nature of being gifted, of having all that we have. It's from the Lord. We weren't worthy to receive any of it. But it was given to us by the Lord. And so we're called to sit in this truth. And I know it is incredibly difficult to do this. And maybe even, I've already referred to social media, maybe even more so now. There's a really interesting article uh, in the New York Times a few months ago about a theoretical physicist named Michael Goldhaber, who in the 80s essentially predicted what is happening now and talked about the fact that we're moving to this, what he calls the economy of, a, of attention. We live in an attention economy. That is the, the, the thing that holds value is attention. And certainly true with uh, our phones that are drawing us to have give it attention. And it's, and it's been monetized, right? Our attention has been monetized for advertising purposes. Now, there's that issue that we should be regularly asking, okay, where am I giving my attention? There's so many things demanding it, social media, school, work, family, friends, 
uh, it, it, the Lord, um, often one that gets pushed to the side, right? I don't have time to read the Bible. There's so many other things demanding my attention. So but that's one thing. But the, the, the other thing that happens is that, that we're seeking to have other people give us attention. We're fighting for other people's attention all the time. Because we're fighting for our rights and our reputation and our position, trying to justify ourselves before other people. And it's really difficult to be humble in that economy. Let's just recognize that that is, is the reality that we have to fight against, that we need the truth of Scripture and the love of one another to remind us of the love of God that does draw us away from that. But it is absolutely difficult to be humble in this attention economy. This is not, these are not easy things. So we have to sit in what is true. And that pushes us to, to be able to, to move forward in humility because it's in light of what, what is true. It's recognizing who we really are. It's, in a sense, unfortunately, recognizing our unworthiness. We, we, we like uh, those uh, stories where somebody who is prideful uh, and prideful when they shouldn't be, when they're kind of put in their place. I, I thought about this um, kind of the, the pool shark uh, trope. Somebody gets hustled uh, because they don't actually know that the other person is good at pool. And of course, if you think about a pool shark, this kind of example, you think of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, there's an episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which, uh, if you're not familiar with, is a sitcom from the 90s. And uh, Will Smith lives with, uh, he grew up uh, West Philadelphia, born and raised, and uh, he ends up living with his uncle, Uncle Phil, in Bel-Air. And uh, he's always getting in trouble, all kinds of hijinks. And so he finds himself uh, at this moment in a, uh, in a billiards club, and he's been, he's been himself hustled out of $300. And he doesn't have $300. And, these folks have confiscated his car, and so he has to call Uncle Phil, and Uncle Phil comes in, uh, and, uh, and there's the pool shark there, and the pool shark is like, well, you can play for it. And Uncle Phil acts like he's never played pool before. Never played. And so they play a game, and he gets beaten. He says, oh, I think I'm, think I'm uh, getting the hang of this. So they, they up the bet, and then all of a sudden, Uncle Phil is good at pool. And he destroys this guy. And you like it because essentially what happened is that guy was prideful enough. He did not have the humility to recognize what was really going on, what was really true, is that he wasn't that good. He wasn't living in light of what is true. That he wasn't uh, essentially worthy to play Uncle Phil and pool. And so there's this satisfaction, right? It's not as satisfying when, when we're the ones who don't live up to our own prideful expectations, when we're the ones who are, are humbled. But we want to sit in truth. If, if that pool shark had known what was true, he wouldn't have found himself in that humiliating, in the negative sense of it, position, right? If we live in light of what is true and our, un, un, our own unworthiness, then, then we're able to, to move forward and, and avoid those kinds of problems. And we're able to be humble with one another. And the reason that we are, again, instead of finding ourselves, instead of this, our unworthiness leading us to, to despair or self-pity, is because what is true at the same time of our unworthiness is that we are loved. Deeply loved. 
we see here in this passage, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's offering his grace, his love, his provision, his care. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, verse 6. The mighty hand of God would have been clearly understood by those original hearers of, of this letter as the saving God. Mighty hand of God, that's the language that was used in Exodus to describe the saving God who delivered his people out of slavery and into the promised land, who delivered them out of their own rebellion and sin countless times. It's the God who wants relationship with his people because he loves them. This is the God who saves. He saves us when we're unworthy, out of our own sin, who brings us, Ephesians 2 tells us, out of death and into life. We didn't deserve it. We were unworthy. We weren't looking to him. We weren't loving him. And yet he loved us. Cast your cares upon him, verse 7, because he cares for you. He loves you and and he cares about the, the things that are going on in your life. The only one, the only one who was ever worthy is the one who loves you and me, who loves his people. That is this beautiful truth that that frees us, even as we recognize that we're unworthy, that frees us from self-pity and despair, that actually leads us into true humility, that gives us confidence to be honest about our shortcomings, to be honest about the fact that we don't have everything together, to be honest about the fact that we need help. That we need the Lord, that we need one another to be able to do what Philippians chapter 2, and this is a great passage, and you you may have, if you've grown up in the church, this is often one of the first verses memorized. I'm still going to read it because I'll mess it up if I try to just do it from memory. Let each of you look not, I'm sorry, go back to Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Just picking up on the same idea of clothing yourselves with humility, uh, all of you, toward uh, one another. That you would count others as more significant than yourselves. In a world that's fighting continually for our own reputation and rights and position. And, And you do this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is all based in the work of Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. So here's God in in all the position of authority and rule and power, who is willing to give that up and humble himself, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The ultimate act of humility, being found in human form, he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the kind of love that he had for us, that he would humble himself to give up all of his power, to give up his position for you and and for me. We are loved. You go back to the the Uncle Phil uh, illustration, and uh, you you can see at the beginning of the scene that, that Will Smith is like, uh, he's afraid of the situation that he finds himself in. He's cowering before these, the pool shark and the other people in the pool hall. But on his way out, and kind of a, a, in a very silly way, he kind of bows up on him on his way out the door. And the reason is because he's with Uncle Phil. And, and Uncle Phil, right before that, just as he gets paid the money for winning the game, he says, don't mess with my boy. You mess with my boy, you mess with me. 
And, and it matters who's got our back. It matters who loves us. And here's, the, again, the only one who is worthy, the creator of all things, he's got our back. He loves us and cares for us. And it can drive us forward with incredible confidence. Incredible confidence to be able to step into humility, to consider others uh, better than ourselves, that we would be able to step into relationship with other folks and we would be able to do it with confidence because of the love that comes. The, the result, he says, is that we would cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's the kind of love that he has for us. That's a part of what, what humility means is, is saying, I, I, I can't fix it myself, but I trust that there's a God who cares for me. And so we are able to step into difficult places, places where we might feel anxiety, relationship with others, at, at work, in, in friendships. Um, we can step into those situations because we know ultimately that there's one who loves and cares for us and that he has our, our back. And so that we can also then step into this call to be humble. So we're unworthy and yet we're loved. And the result is that we can be humble. We're reoriented by these truths. We're reoriented by the fact that, uh, that one, that we're not worthy, and that two, that God still loves us and cares for us and wants relationship with us. So that we can consider others better than ourselves when everything around us in our culture screams, no, stand up for yourselves, fight for your rights and your position. And, and, and we're able to do it not because, not out of this, uh, this idea that Aristotle would have that we serve because we're better, Humility is considering others better than ourselves. There's a temptation to, as, as we might show up, to meet me under the bridge uh, this afternoon and serve uh, those who are currently housing insecure, that we would do it because we think we're better. Now, there's a sense in which we might, we might do it because of the gifts that we have, because of what we've been given, that we have that opportunity to serve other folks. But if we begin to think, even for a moment, that it's because we're better, we're missing true humility. We're missing what is true about our own selves and the way that we stand before our Lord, who does love us and care for us. What he requires for us to receive his grace is humility. It's just, it's just this, this recognition of what is true, that what we have is from him, that his love is from him and not something that we earn or deserve. But that allows us then to clothe ourselves with humility, clothe ourselves, all of you, whatever your position is. And, and we, again, live in this place that, like, if you're successful, that people think you have more value or worth. If you haven't struggled, and we think we, we give more, somebody's more worth my time. That's a complete misunderstanding of the gospel. That all of us, are unworthy, that all of us have been embraced by the love of God so that we can then serve one another. This idea, this, this Greek word of clothe yourselves with humility, it's the picture of putting on the servant's apron to be able to serve other people. And Jesus takes up this picture in John 13 when he wraps a towel around his waist and he serves the disciples by washing their dirty, nasty feet. And that's what they were in that dusty, sandal-wearing culture, there, it was, it, this, was the, this was a clear act of service that Jesus had. He clothed himself with that towel and service in order to care for others. That's the picture that we have here that Peter's giving us of clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. It's the posture that we would have toward others, that 
Philippians chapter 2, that we would consider others better than ourselves instead of fighting for our rights or position. And that we would do so, as Philippians 2 reminds us, empowered by the work that he's done, by his humble serving of us, his humility to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that comes as a an event that worked in our lives to save us. It's the mighty hand of God saving us, loving us, caring for us, that we rest in that salvation. But it's also an example. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that we have the mind of Christ, that it's an example for us to follow. The cross is an example for us to follow of humble service. And so as we come to the Lord's table, we're, we're able to embrace his service to us, and we're able to be reminded to reorient ourselves that we don't have to fight for our own position, but we can humbly serve others. And I I noted this often plays out in just really mundane ways. It it plays out in the home when there's some work that needs to be done. There are dishes that need to be washed, and every single one of us can argue why it should be somebody else that should do that serving. Always happens, right? I can always tell you why it should be somebody else that should clean the dishes or do some work around the house, whatever it might be. And I can also tell you why I should be the one to have the last good cookie, right? Why I should be the one to have the good thing, the comfortable seat. Or why if we're making a decision about what to watch, why it should be my decision to pick what we watch when we all disagree, right? I mean, this humility of serving one another plays out in very mundane things. Those things that I mentioned, they're just everyday, day-to-day things. It doesn't often play out in giving up our very lives for others. That's the picture that is given to us. And it may, at some point, play out in that way. It may be big sacrifices for folks at some point. But it's more often just regular day-in, day-out serving one another and doing so with humility, recognizing that we're not better. Actually, that we would consider others as better than ourselves. <clears throat> that we would embrace the fact that we're going to put ourselves in the position of being below average, which half the people are, and nobody wants to be. Right? Below average is half the population, but that's like a huge insult to call somebody below average. And, and really what we find here is actually put yourself down in like the, the bottom percentile. And we do not want to put ourselves there. But the beauty of the gospel is that it draws us into that in ways for us to serve and care for one another out of the love that God has for us, that he would empower us to live out what is true. Humility is recognizing what is true about our own hearts and our own lives and about God's heart and love and care for us.